I think, I don't know if this makes sense, but the fact that it was other people saving my life made me think I can't give up. Like, I can't, do you know what I mean? I've been given a second chance at this. I can't stop or not try. Because it makes you think about how precious life is and that really any second, any moment, you can be put at risk, which I was. It was on edge of living and dying. And I'm so grateful that I was given a chance again. You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast with me, Dan Burgess. Hello, welcome to the show. This is Dan. Um, hope this finds you well. Thanks for tuning in. It's much appreciated. So I'm recording this um, middle to end of February. Uh, and this is actually the first episode I've recorded uh, this year in 2021. Uh, And to be honest, it's taken me really till this point to have the kind of energy to get back into the podcast seat for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is um, the theme of this episode. And this episode is a very personal one, um, as it's a conversation with my 13-year-old daughter, Olive Burgess. So... If we rewind to uh, last November, November 2020, um, when uh, I was, frankly, I imagine like lots of people, I was kind of on my knees from the intensity of 2020 and all that it bought. Um, and yeah, it was mid-November and our our life turned upside down, literally, um, on what was until sort of 6.30pm, a very normal Thursday evening. So Olive had a completely sudden seizure uh, at home, came from nowhere. Uh, And three hours later, she was undergoing emergency brain surgery, which, as we found out the following day, saved her life. And she spent the next six and a half weeks in Bristol Royal Children's Hospital, uh, recovering and undergoing various treatments and operations and procedures to understand what had caused her to have a bleed inside her brain, which was the cause of a stroke. So this conversation was recorded in early January after Olive returned home, and I asked Olive if she wanted to capture her her story what had happened to her um as part of her own processing and sense making of what was a deeply surreal and intensely traumatic experience for her um and for her family and actually this process has has also been part of my own sense making with her um it's an event which has totally changed her life Uh, and that of her family. Um, So this conversation is partly an account of what happened on the night of the 12th of November uh, and the following chaotic and sort of blurry days and weeks um, that followed. Uh, And we try and make sort of sense of that. And then the second half of the conversation, we really get into Olive's reflections really on her on her experiences of going through this uh, in hospital and how this whole thing has affected her, um, her views on, on life and her 
path forward now with this condition that she is living with. Now, Olive is an extraordinary human. I mean, I know I'm her dad, um, but what I witnessed in those weeks by her bedside, in and out of operating theatres, in rehab, learning how to walk again, how to use her arm and her hand again, what I witnessed was a, was a true heart warrior. You know, she responded to these enormous challenges and, and uh, really dark moments with, with courage, with grace, kindness, determination, focus and, and real humility. And, and she continues with that, with that spirit today. And uh, I, I know just from my own um, experience, she, she has taught me so much in these times through her actions and ways of showing up. So, let's cut straight into it. This is um, the Spaceship Earth podcast, episode 43, with Olive Burgess. Olive, welcome to the podcast. Hi. So, um, we're in in the studio at the bottom of the garden, and uh, actually the last time I was in here was about... Eight weeks ago. Eight weeks ago. And that's when everything changed. Yeah. Didn't it? But do you want to just like, before we before we sort of go back to that evening, do you want to talk a little bit about, just, just so people can understand a little bit more about you and who you are and what you're about, just a bit of your, little bit of your story before we get stuck into the, uh, the, uh, event. the event. Yes. Hi, my name's Olive. I'm 13. I am a dancer and a surfer, and I also love to cook. I go to a girls' school, middle child. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes you get the negative effects of being stuck in the middle. I have an incredible family that have been like so supportive through all of this. And, and I like my phone. And you like yes, that's a, you do like your phone. <laughs> um, and there's and obviously there's lot there's lots to you and we'll, and 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 uh, we'll probably get into more of that as we go along. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we well, it's early January, isn't it? And it's hard to describe the last few weeks, isn't it? But should we go? Should we, should we just go back to what was the twelfth of November, wasn't it? Yeah. The Thursday evening. Yeah. Um, and I mean, for me, what I remember is I'd been in here, been in the studio in the afternoon preparing for an event that we were doing, a Zoom gathering online, and we'd come up for dinner. And you cooked that night, I remember. Yeah, I cooked. So, like, let's just, yeah, let's just go from there. Um. So. Normal day. Normal day at school, I had pee that day, I think. Me and my friends, like, we had lunch. We were all kind of messing around on the field, kind of just, like, doing doing TikToks and just being 13-year-old girls, I guess. Then came home, because it was Thursday, didn't have anything on. I cooked dinner with mum, and then you two went down here. And then me and my brother went and sat in my room. It's about what? Quarter past six. Yeah, it was literally so, like, nothing. It was just so average. 
And then we were sat in there for a bit, and then I went to the toilet. Strick began. Lost use of my left arm. And then the headache kind of started, probably around 6.30, maybe quarter to... Seven. So the first, so the first thing that the first thing was the arm. Yeah, my left arm went. And what happened? So it just basically couldn't grab the loo roll in, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And then stood up, and my leg was a bit wobbly, my left leg, but I could kind of stand myself to walk out into my room, and the headache was really bad by the time, like within the space of a couple minutes of me going from the bathroom to the, my room. Like, my headache got so bad, and I kind of was losing my speech, but I was like to my brother, I need paracetamol. So, and that same time, you were texting him to get come get the dog, because she was... Yes, yeah, so we were I was down, we were down in the studio at the bottom of the garden, preparing for this Zoom dream space gathering, and I think it was about, all I remember was the dog outside the studio, like, barking like a mad, mad banshee wolf thing which she does often and it's only in retrospect actually it was a different kind of bar but at the time it's like why is the dog yeah like, that's nothing crazy so we were sending messages onto our family text line going Can someone come and get the dog <laughs> um and yeah and so and so carry on so then so then finn went upstairs to go come down to the garden get the dog came back up looked for some paracetamol but couldn't find any so he came back down to me which I then have a very clear memory of what I did next, but I'm not really sure on how this happened. I 100% walked up the stairs, climbed over quite likely the stair gate, and then got myself a glass of water. But when I was in hospital, I was thinking about that situation and th- questioning like how I managed to get myself up the stairs and over the stair gate with a par- paralysed leg. Anyways, got myself back downstairs after that. Came into my room. By that time, Finn had texted you saying that I'm having a seizure and that you need to come up. Yeah, so we got we we eventually like dogs still barking like crazy. We were trying to and then we get a message from Finn saying I remember Seema saying just got a text from Finn. He's saying that Ollie's having a seizure. And at that point, we just both we literally I remember we were in here. We just stopped everything. Ran to the door, out the door, sprinted up the garden, through our door into your room, and it was like chaos. You were like falling. You were sort of standing up on one leg, then falling onto the bed, clutching your like smacking the side of your head. That's what Willow and Finn said they think was a seizure part of the stroke. Yeah. Because after I had like a stroke, which then caused the seizure, so they think it. Apparently, my leg was also hitting against the bed a bit later on yeah but i all i remember when you guys came in i just remember almost i don't know if this actually happened but i have like a memory of trying to hold myself up against you mum said that she was kind of holding me up at the top of the bed yeah i mean it's 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 weird because it's kind of like i remember it but at the same time it's very much a blur yeah that's the same same for me i remember like it was you know, with it, it was really clear very, very fast that we didn't really have a clue what was going on and it was serious. So I remember I just got the phone, called the ambulance, called 999. And I remember parts of the phone call. Do you? 
I remember the lady on the phone saying, keep me on the phone until the paramedics walk in the room, not just the house. And then I remember mum saying, they're, they're in the room. Remember that? Yeah, they because we held the phone, they wanted the phone by, it was, if I remember right, we had to hold it close to you while we were waiting. And then the, I think it was probably 15 minutes, maybe the paramedics arrived. Maybe even quicker. It seemed really fast. I can't really remember. I feel like from... I remember mum saying, call the ambulance. I, I mean, you must have done it quite quickly. So I remember... I don't remember them properly being there, but I remember sitting at the end of the bed with them in front of me and asking me a couple of questions, which seemed like a very short amount of time from when you called them to when they got there. Yeah, I mean... I remember them turning up and I remember in between I managed to send a, a message in WhatsApp to the to the team that I'm working I was working with on the event on the Dreamspace event because we had about 70 80 people waiting on this Zoom event which I was supposed to be hosting. Chaos. And they were all waiting uh f- it was like and I and I managed to send a message to our WhatsApp group for our t- the team and just said um I'm not you know I'm my daughter's having a seizure we're waiting for an ambulance and I'm not going to be around. And and I remember, I remember sending that and I remember the paramedics arriving and I remember them just going through a list of stuff like allergies and conditions. And, um, and I remember you were like, it's, it was like you were sort of, I can't really describe it, but it was, you, you were just sort of shaking and uh and it and clutching the right side left of your head right side, right side of, my of your head, head but the left side wasn't functioning properly but it still didn't really click with me what was going on no. i think we were in such shock when you came in when i have a vivid memory of me kind of trying trying to hold myself against you which i don't know if i did or not i do remember questioning myself in in my head thinking my right side's hurting my left side's not working I mean I don't know if that's a basic fact that your right side controls your left side but I didn't know that at all so yeah then he started then he started uh, throwing up up my whole dinner which I'm never eating again yeah um which again then swung us to like allergies allergies was this I just didn't know what we just didn't know what was it was weird because I mean I'm not allergic to anything and it was so such a normal like evening. I was just sat with Finn, which we would I would be doing either in his room or my room, and then yeah. And so then I remember they put put you in this kind of sort of wheelie chair thing, and we cleared the corridor to get you up the stairs. Got you up the stairs. Got you out the front door. I remember being opening eyes and being very close to the picture wall on the on the staircase. I don't I don't remember like knowing that I was in the chair, but I'm I know I was being carried up, and I remember being very kind of opening eyes to all the pictures on the side of the wall. I remember that quite mm. clearly. We got you outside, and then they opened the ambulance, and then they got you in the ambulance. And then you were there for quite a few minutes in the ambulance. And basically they said to me, Mummy, only, only because of COVID, only one of us could come to the hospital. Then I think you were you were being sick again in yeah. the ambulance. So Mummy said that I was throwing up the whole time. Yeah. And then 
I we decided mummy would go with you in the ambulance and I would stay with your brother and sister because it was all I mean it was all it's hard still to had school it, and like it was, everything it was, was it was so it was so it was quite a violent I felt that it was like looking back on it it was all quite sort of but it was also I think Thursday it's like coming to the end of the week but it's not the end do you know what I mean I was fine with Thursday it's like oh it's Friday tomorrow last day of school but then it's like it's still still in the in the week yeah and then well anyway so then the ambulance left with you and mummy don't um, remember it at all do you remember any of that I have like a feeling I remember it but I don't know if it's I've made something up in my head yeah. trying to remember it if it's like yeah. just a something I've seen in a movie or something that I'm imagining I actually saw but and I do don't you, what do you remember do you remember what happened next shall I say shall I tell you I what know next? Or you I think know, I think I know Mummy said that when we got to NHS in Bath, the RUH, the RUH, they took me straight for a CT scan, and she said, "Well, you read me the messages yeah between you, and you said that I was." Well, she said that I was quite kind of in and out of consciousness, and then they were because one of my questions to you and Mummy was, "Do you have any idea what was going on?" Which I asked you both, and my mum said she was clueless, and you said you were pretty clueless. But when she got to the RUH, they asked her if there was any like. Um, signs of aneurysms in like the family like history and that's when she first heard like something to do with a b- brain or a bleed and she was just so like confused like she was just because it was so like random she was like just thinking how is this anything to do with what's going on with her because you just wouldn't you wouldn't imagine that mm. and then she said that they did a ct scan which is like a not mri but it's something like that and they knew that they obviously would see from the pictures. And they knew that I needed to be in Bristol because it's, I mean, it's incredible, the hospital there. So they, because of COVID and they have to have a lot of different types of people like doctors and nurses, mummy couldn't come in the ambulance with me. So I was put in the ambulance to Bristol with two paramedics, two nurses and a doctor, I think. And then me, obviously. And then my auntie drove my mum and something they said to my mum was don't try and follow the ambulance because obviously it would be going so fast that you just couldn't keep up with it yeah so they basically made a call really fast at Bath that you need needed to get they needed to get you to Bristol Royal Children's Hospital because the teams there were they, they, they knew immediately that it was pretty serious and wanted to get you into the specialist care um, and then they they told, because I was on the WhatsApp, obviously constantly with mummy, and she said that they, just as you l- got in the ambulance to, le- to they, they shot you off to Bristol, the doc, the emergency doctor said, we've seen the scan, it's a bleed, she's had a stroke, she had a bleed on the brain. So that was, that was at that point we knew, well, we knew what was, we didn't know why it happened, but we knew we what was happening. Um, and that it's not going to be like a short term kind of, I don't think we even had a clue at that point still because it was yeah. so sort of like, I mean, even just when you, because when you hear stroke, you don't think of, at least I didn't, you know, you, it's not something you've, every you time I've heard a, about a teenager, every time I've heard stories about strokes, I've heard them as like older men a lot of time, not to generalize that women or girls don't have them, but all the stories I've heard about strokes is older men that suffer from a stroke and then 
so on, you know, go from there. Mm. I'd, I'd, I mean, I wasn't obviously told about it for a long time, but yeah, what all the times I've heard about strokes, they've, I've, they, I either I associate them with older people because that's all the stories I've heard. So we, so, so we sort of, so we had a sense of, of, you know, what was happening. No idea why or what next, but they rush you to Bristol, um, and then the emergency team at Bristol, as we found, you know, this is what we found out, obviously after. In the sort of days, I think I had a scan first before so as as another a, CT scan. They gave you another CT scan, and then straight into surgery. And the reason they did that was to compare it with the one that had been taken at Bath. To see if, if there's the any more bleed, worse, which it was. I didn't know that. But um, and then they made the decision um, really quickly that they were going to need to operate because, again, in what we found out in you know the days after was that the pressure in the brain builds up when there's a bleed in the brain the pressure builds up and apparently according to surgeons there's not one, much room in you in yeah, the skull one of the surgeons said to me that it's almost like um a ditch like it becomes like a ditch the pressure pushing down creates a kind of like a bowl shape in your brain because it's like pushing down against your brain and because for, like this like you said there's no not much space at all between your skull and the top of your brain like it's very compact. So they had to operate to re- release the pressure and try and reduce the the bleed clot. Um, and of course, none of this we had any idea about, right? We just, we just, you know, they mummy was still there. Mummy was there in the emergency room, talking me through what was going on. And then she said, "Well, they're going to operate. You need to come. You need to come." So I got a cab. Um, got your auntie over to look after the other guys got in a cab i think i got to bristol hospital about i think it's about half past 10 maybe or maybe it was 10 or something you'd, you'd gone into surgery about 15 minutes before or something um and then we sat in the parents waiting area in the intensive care unit at the hospital it was just me and mummy i mean again i remember it was just like completely like no idea <clears throat> we knew you were in surgery mm, didn't know what they were doing at that point all we knew is that they they said they had to operate and about half past two or was it half past three in the morning maybe a guy knocks on the door comes in and he was the dog dan no, this was no. Um, Mr. Jasura, Anthony oh, Jasura, yeah. who was the neurosurgeon on call who operated on you. And he said to, I can remember it because it was like, it was dark. We were like, we were like, no idea what was going, what time it was. And of course, everyone's masked up still. And mm, so you can't see anyone. Can't really or... see him or hear him. I could just sort of see him. And, and he said, he explained to us what, <clears throat> He said, you were still in the theatre, but it would be finishing off. Um, he would be out shortly. And he said they had done a craniotomy, which was like, we never had no idea what it was. And he said, he showed us, he said, he just showed it on his head. He goes, yeah, so we've cut from here all the way down here. So it's like, and then we've lifted off the the skull we flapped it over and so mummy and i just sitting there going you know you just <laughs> i don't <laughs> just like what 
what you know um and he said and we've you know the reason he talked through the, the pressure thing and um and it's you know it had worked it had brought the pressure down and and at the moment that was kind of all and he said they they sort of put this this the skull flat back but they don't seal it properly they let it sort of what he called float so that if there's any more bleed the pressure won't build up but you'll be in intense care in an hour and they'll come and get us when you're in there and the next thing we know it's i don't know what time it was maybe it was 4 30 yeah and they talk, brought us in. The surgery was about four and a half to five hours, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was about five hours. I didn't I didn't even know that. I only heard that the other day. I thought it was like a couple hours. They took us into the intensive care unit. Don't remember, I don't remember intensive care no, at all. You were, you were sedated and on a... On um Drip. Intubation, you know, oxygen and... um. And suddenly we're looking at you like, you know, and it's, you know, it's like something out of, you know, like a casualty, you know, on the TV, you know, you're all tubed up and piped up and totally asleep and you've got a bloody great uh, bandage, you know, bandage sort of thing down the back of your head. And um, and we're like, how did this happen? And I think you that was the Friday morning, so about 5 a.m. And then they... Sh- showed us a bunk they had like a bunk adults bunk rooms for parents just on the next floor up mummy and i sort of went tried to sleep for like two hours um and the whole of the friday we were just that you were on you know you were on sedation well, i so was only awake on monday no what happened was it was it was actually the saturday so all friday you were on sedation so they took you off sedation on the Saturday and then, because I couldn't, I remember I was looking at through the photos and I I, I didn't take, mummy and both of us didn't take any pictures of you in the first over 24 hours. I think because we were so shocked. Mm. We had no idea what was going on. And it, it, it it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day, like what? Because usually I w- would always swipe, but I think I was su- in such, we were in such a sort of space of complete, like no idea what was going on. Photos was the, probably the last thing yeah. on your mind. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But that's your brother, because he said... Do you take any photos? He said, you've got... You, you, you just make sure you've got a pictures of Olive, because she'll want to see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what do you remember? Because I know... Because I, I can tell you what... You know, yeah, I, tell you what I remember... You out on the Saturday. I was talking to Mummy about this the other day. So I... When I woke up on Monday from a nap or a sleep, I said to Mummy, I said, it's Friday today, isn't it? She said, no, it's Monday. Because I obviously thought had it on Thursday, next day it was Friday, woke up. She said that I asked the nurse in ICU what happened to me. She said you'd, ha- you'd had a bleed on your brain. And then I said to mummy on the Monday, I had pain in my right side. Why Why, does, why can't I use my left side? She said because it works the opposite side of your body, which I did, I had no clue. I don't remember asking the question, but I remember thinking of the question. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I remember thinking, I've hurt myself here. Like, I can't use this side. I must have asked the question. When did you... Can you remember... Can you, yeah, cause you, can you remember sort of coming round? And then what do you what do you remember about sort of... I remember... What was working and what wasn't? And when I was at the point of kind of realising where I am, what's happened, like, I'm awake... 
I know what's happened. Like I know the surgery, I know my body, I know where I am. Like when I kind of come to the point where I was able to kind of be a bit more alive. I remember I had a catheter in, which meant I couldn't go to the toilet, obviously, because I couldn't walk. Um, I was very frustrated about that. Like, all I wanted to do was go to the toilet. It really bothered me that I wasn't... It wasn't even I wasn't allowed. I, I wasn't capable of going to the toilet. And I... don't. I remember I was constantly leaning on my left arm. Couldn't use it at all. Like, no... I kind of almost just forgot about it and I after a couple days I think it was I started being able to push myself up the bed with my left leg which was obviously an improvement of it just slowly by slowly waking up and that way I was able to use a bedpan for the toilet instead of the catheter which made me feel a lot better I felt like I'd actually go to the toilet even if I was in the bed and then they got a couple physios down after a couple of days of being in HDU. And I stood up for the first time, which was really good. Well, that was a few days, though. It was a few days. Yeah, yeah. Because you were, I mean, because again, you were, you had, I mean, you didn't eat for about three days. I pulled out my nose tube as well. <laughs> I had to pull your feeding tube out your nose <laughs> several times. Um because, I mean, it's funny because I was looking back on, again, some of the sort of pictures and some of the videos and stuff. And, you know, you were, I mean, you were paralysed on the yeah. left-hand side. My you, complete, you my move. left arm was under me constantly. I'd have to use my right arm to hold, like, one thing that the whole time of hospital I was got asked by you and mummy was, where's your left arm? If I was sitting on it, like, if, if we'd be in the bed together watching a movie... Like, and I'd probably be sat on it. Where's your left arm? At the start, I would have to use my right arm to pull it out, to, like, hold it up, be like, oh, it's here. Do you know what I mean? It was so, like, I, I... It was such a weird, like, sensation because I could be concentrating so hard and doing the movement in my head, but not... It wouldn't be doing it, which was just such, like, a weird thing that you would never come to because you almost think, like, if you if you forget about it... Like if if I forgot how to lift up my arm, would that make it not happen? But no, it's it's if your arm just can't move, it also it won't. Your brain could be completely positive on what on the situation and what it's doing. But so that was just so weird for me mm. that I just wasn't doing what I was telling it to do. And your left leg. And oh yeah. Leg. So it was all and part of your as well, face your was left quite and your mouth. Smile is just coming back now. <laughs> it's still a bit wonky, but you know. Were you, were you like scared? Because like, just that's what a lot of my friends ask me, and I don't have any memory of being scared. Even on the night that I had the stroke, I remember thinking, "What is going on?" But I don't remember thinking, "Why is this happening?" Just why isn't it working? I was more thinking, "Why is it my my arm doing what I want it to do?" Like I've done this my whole life. Why isn't? Why can't I lift up my arm or reach for the loo roll or something? It was. It wasn't like, oh my god, my arm isn't working. It was, oh my god, it's not. Why? What's going on? Like, this isn't right. I was more. I think I was more confused than scared. Because you didn't strike as someone that spent, a, you know, what you know, witnessed you 
going through this and witness your recovery. You never, you never struck me as being scared. The only one time that I remember of my journey in hospital being a little bit nervous, well, not a little, just being a bit like uncomfortable with the situation coming was before the angiogram when I was with you. I think that was probably the only time. Obviously, other things that happened that I knew about, I was nervous for, but that was the only time when I really knew what they were about to do. I didn't that that made me feel uncomfortable I think because of the because of what they were doing in that so you were because it was so safe it was for a, a week or so you were bed rest pretty much just sleeping mm. and um well I got tired after a conversation in HD I couldn't sit myself up obviously but like I mean sometimes I'd be able to grab onto the rails on the side of the bed and pull myself up after doing that I would fall back down because I'd be tired already like from literally using my my strong arm to hold me up I'd be tired after doing that that was one thing that again confused me the fact that something I've done so simply my whole life like waving I couldn't do which was like such a weird thing like there's not effort in that do you know what I mean babies do that without even thinking about it but I couldn't do it, which was just very weird for me to sit there and think about what... Uh, yeah, but I don't think, from what I recall anyways, I mean, I don't know how good my memory is, but I don't remember feeling scared at all. Yeah. Now, sometimes when I look back at it, I think I get a bit like... I get like a shiver down my spine, the idea of what I've been through. But when it was actually going through it, I wasn't, don't think I was scared. It's almost like a ride, like a, a fair ride. Before, you're like, oh my God, that looks terrifying. When you're on it, it's not scary, it's fun. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying this this was fun. Like, obviously, I wouldn't choose to do that, to go through this. But with this, because I didn't know what I was to expect, it kind of just happened and I had to kind of accept it. It's not like I can just take it back. Do you know what I mean? We live on a life-giving rock called Earth hurtling through space. How bonkers is that? You're listening to the Spaceship Earth podcast. I mean, you were in hospital for six and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, a lot happened. A lot did happen. You know, because you went from, from what you've just explained and obviously then into, you know, sort of rehab plus trying to find out what had caused it yeah so you had sort of two different i guess i remember challenges that were going on at the same time yeah i remember being moved up to blue Bear ward that was a neuro ward yeah like more of like not recovery but like the rehab ward kind of i do remember that day quite remember quite clearly because i had my two favorite two nurses that i had on that when i first got moved up there became my two favourite nurses on the ward because I had kind of met them when I first was brought onto the ward. They worked with me together. One of them was a student... Is she a student nurse? Or was she training nurse? Elise. Oh, yeah, she was a student nurse. Student nurse, nurse, and one was just a nurse that had been working there. Which was? Amy. And they had me the the first day I was on there and then they had me, obviously, a couple days on every so often for the six, four, about... It's about four five four weeks, weeks that yeah. I was in Bluebell mm. and favourite nurses like 
they were so lovely. What made them favourite? What was it about them? Elise was slightly younger and she would come and she'd come sit with me in the evenings and she'd have like long conversations with me and just like that kind of girl conversations that you have with your friends that I obviously wasn't having, she would have with me. And I think her being slightly younger made her kind of understand what I was talking about and I talk a lot. So no shit. <laughs> I kind of they come and come come check up me and I'd start talking about my whole life story. <laughs> so like I don't know I just felt I could kind of had like a relation not relationship like a I could I communicate like what's the word connection connection yeah I felt connection with her and Amy was just that kind of really like loving makes you feel very happy and comfortable. She kind of every time I was doing nil by mouth before like a procedure. She'd just be like really loving. Like she'd come and like wake me up, and she'd bring me my breakfast. She'd come sit with me while I like, eat it, and just like like nice kind of like things that you like wanna have done. Like takes care of you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And one of my nurses on HDU was one of my other favorite nurses as well. From I remember her. I, I had two nurses, but I didn't remember one of them. I don't think she was with me when I was as much awake as she was with me when I was probably asleep. One of them called Ruth, who was with me when I was awake, because <laughs> I remember her. She was just really lovely, and she'd come and come up and see me on my ward, like, and any spare time she had, like, it would be kind of probably, like, midnight. I'd be having my obs, so I'd trying to get back to sleep, and she'd kind of come up and be like, I know you're having a procedure tomorrow, like, good luck. She's like, she was just really, like, sweet. Mm. And, like, I had excitement when I saw her old when we'd go to see her. Like, it was just, it was nice. I mean, all the nurses are, like weirdly nice because they're dedicating their lives to you but like a couple of them really made my like it was like exciting like when you knew they had you, you had them for that they were on their shifts they had you for their shift mm-hmm. can't speak like um one week I had Amy quite a lot and I knew that I had her a lot so when it came to that week again I was like oh I've got Amy this week and it was like you know when she comes in the morning I've got you today and you're like oh yay <laughs> like, it's just like a nice thing to wake up to yeah. I mean, obviously, you you got to witness and experience like being in in our health service and like being in this emergency care and then rehab and what would you what what surprised you or like, like what have you taken out of that experience about the NHS like what's what's it I uh, I like I don't know I didn't imagine it to be like that like I don't know how to explain it but I didn't imagine to kind of be in a room where you talk to the other patients in there and you kind of grow a bond with the whole kind of hospital like it's not even just like there's some lovely girls in my room but the actual whole hospital in itself you kind of grow like a connection with like that it's like you every time I'll if I ever go to Bristol every time I see the hospital I'll know that like kind of like the fact they saved my life you know and each and every one of the nurses even if they didn't operate on me they still took care of me to the point where I was able to go home and like the rehab team as well this is so good there like and it was really nice my occupational therapist she I had quite a good like connection with her because we both talk a lot and we both laugh at nothing so one time she was doing a like one of the play members there is like a professional he does origami like he he's like he made like a yoda out of origami and he and libby got him to come and do the session with us to see if my left hand could and he didn't 
and he didn't know that I actually had a problem with my left hand. I think she forgot to tell him, so he thought he was just talk, like teaching like a kid. She was like, where do you think I got her from? And he was like, I couldn't notice you had any fault in your left hand because I'd had like sessions already and I was gaining my strength back. But like we kind of, we made like water balloons and you have to like blow them up. And like I'd start and then me and Libby would just start like laughing at nothing. And like they're just like really like, they're just really genuine people. Like I feel that's one thing you forget about the surgeons and the nurses they're all like they're humans as well as being like superheroes they're like they are just like a normal person like anyone else and like that's one thing that I think they're when you when you kind of see their characters as a person as opposed to just a incredible person that's saving other people's lives as their job which is amazing a lot of the nurses also said to me stuff like you know would you ever be a nurse when you're older the start I did not like the idea I've never been the biggest fan of the idea of being a nurse but definitely as I've gone through this journey near the end or like now I've definitely the idea of it has become a lot not nicer like it's not like I didn't like the job of nurse I just never was really like something that really made me sparked yeah, towards me it. Yeah. yeah I was never I don't want to be it like I often kind of obviously this probably happens but I the idea of like having someone that maybe something really bad happens to them thinking about the fact that they might have been in your care that kind of scared me but I mean it's like that with every job I guess it's always things like that but definitely going through a journey and experiencing it myself and seeing the nurses face to face and meeting them as people the idea of being a nurse definitely changed in my perspective and what was like because you know, I mean, because I'm sitting, I listen to you, and, I, and, I, and I'm also thinking about all like, like how how I how I experienced you going through this and <clears throat> being in the hospital for that amount of time, and also just like, you know, recovering from this really kind of like, you know, really serious, you know, it was, you know, it was a life saving op as we were told, you know, the day after, and and then bringing you back through rehab and at the same time trying to figure out why it happened and you know you had a lot of tests and a lot of scans and I mean how you know tell us a bit about all that because there was all that stuff going on every day you know yeah. you have these visits and tests and it's so every us a bit about every morning when you wake up so I had kind of like a routine every morning wake up at eight have breakfast around eight ish and that was the time that the surgeons would come around to do like ward rounds and they speak to pretty much every patient in the ward just like if you have something upcoming that's coming up they talk to you about that or they just see how you're getting on and yeah you can ask any questions like they're so humble as well that's one thing we were all saying like they come around they're just so like taking their stride the fact that they probably saved your life do you know what I mean and it's like it's it's really inspiring to like see people so humble about such a big thing so they'd come around every morning and so there was ward rounds and as I went on later on in my time in the hospital sometimes they would come around the, later on in the day as well or like they'd pop in and just say hi to you or something because I had another op quite recently how many weeks ago was it two, two, it was Monday today so two weeks ago two, two weeks ago today it was two weeks ago today I had an op and it was to fix my bone plate 
back in place so at the start i think did you say yeah about how they it's called like a floating kind of yeah craniotomy yeah so where they leave the skull slightly lifted they can either leave it in your head or they can put it into your stomach i'm not 100 sure why they do that i think it's just to keep it kind of clean and like in your body because not everyone for certain reasons not everyone can have it in their head so two weeks ago today they fixed my they went back in the same scar which is i mean it's so neat what they did to my head like it's i've got a shaved line but i guess it's nothing compared to what i've <laughs> other stuff that i've had to deal with and they went back straight like directly back into the scar that i had before so that that was like nice for me to when i got to see my head like to know they didn't leave me with two big scars like obviously i wouldn't have cared but like they're clearly thinking about me as a 13 year old girl as, as well as just trying to say like help me save my life so they fixed my with titanium bolts so hopefully if i ever get shot in the head which god touch what i don't hopefully it will land on my titanium yeah. bolt can we just please avoid that one <laughs> happening thanks can land on my titanium bolt yeah so they did that and then a couple the week a week previous i had an mri and I was that week, that same week I was supposed to have an angiogram, which is where they go up your artery in your leg, up to your brain. And when they get to your brain, they release some dye and then use this massive like scanner to scan over. And the dye and the scan like works together to basically create a really clear map of your brain. I'd had one near the start when I first got brung in. Yeah, you had one just a few days after the the emergency. But I don't remember that at all. But I remember feeling quite nervous for the angiogram because I knew what they were doing and I didn't really have time. To, I had a lot of time to think about that they were going to go up my artery, which made me feel a bit uncomfortable. Like, you know, that's one of your major arteries. It's like something that I've always been told if you ever get cut there, you always put a lot of pressure down because it's your major artery. So that made me feel a bit nervous, but that... That was another general anaesthetic, wasn't it? Yeah, general but... anaesthetic procedure. So I was on nil by mouth from... So I woke up at like quarter past five to eat my breakfast, went back to bed, stopped eating by six. Then we were like, okay, the angiograms today. That's what we were waiting for this like big week. So then it gets to about... 10 maybe? And the um, matron comes in. And me and my dad are sat there and we're like, like, oh God. Like, no, you were with mummy then. Was it for the yeah. angiogram? Okay, so we're sat there. She comes in, she goes, got some bad news for you. She goes, the angiogram machine is actually broken and in pieces across the floor. <laughs> I know, I was with you because we searched it up. But I, I came that afternoon. So she, then, she, then they swapped over and I was like, oh my God. I mean, I mean, I got to eat, so that was a good thing, but... I was just like, I think the reason, I wasn't obviously angry because you can't be angry at a situation like that. That's life. But I was frustrated the fact it meant we were going to have to, it was going to push us forwards a bit longer in hospital. And then when you came up, we were like, oh, like, we were like, how much do you reckon they are? Like, because like, I, I was like, how come they've got one? Like, if, if it's such a big hospital. So we were like, let's search because I'd raised some money with the Grand Appeal. People had raised money towards me and we'd raised about five thousand pounds so we're like oh we could buy a new one <laughs> <laughs> obviously not that and then but just like so we're like let's search up how much they are 
got a bit of a shock as they're three quarters of a million pounds. Yeah. Kind of answered our question of why they only have one. Yeah. So then, I mean, that I ate for that afternoon. So it was, yeah, it was frustrating that it meant that we, well, I thought it would mean that we'd be pushed back a bit further. We did, uh, they rescheduled it later in the week. For the two days later. And we had to take you to a different hospital for that one. It was quite exciting because I got to go in an ambulance and I actually got to like remember what it was like because obviously before that I don't have any clue of what when I was half conscious, half puking. Yeah. So we went to Southmead Hospital, which is not too far, but is a bit further down. Yeah. And then got there and it was absolutely humongous. It was really intimidating because I was strapped into an ambulance bed, like being wheeled around this massive hospital. Everyone was staring at me and it was like really quite intimidating because it's so big. It's like, it looks like an airport in there. Yeah, it's an enormous place. I was quite nervous, but I was less nervous. I don't know why. I think I just... I knew that they they were like the best in Europe there, and obviously the people at Bristol Children's Hospital were probably just as good. But well, they came. You, that's the thing we found out. They they sent the whole neurosurgical team with with, with you in case I needed emergency, case op- needed emergency surgery because things with angiograms it can it ha- there's a like a, a risk risk that it could bleed. could cause a bleed again because you're going up the artery of the aneurysm mm, the back avm into the back, back into the brain yeah. so just has so tell us about like so you've had all that we ha- had all these we ha- had all these different imaging scans and, and now they've you know they've got this perfect understanding of your brain and what's going on so what tell us what's what was the so why did this all happen what's going on so i have something called an avm which is a Quite common, well, it's arterial venous malformation. It's a very common... Google it. What's the... It's not an illness, it's a... It's basically, it's a neurovascular condition. Condition, that's the word. Yeah. That's all I needed. It's a very common condition, about a thou- one in a thousand, more or less. Born with it. People born, yeah, so you're born with it. No, that's not, I don't think that's a reason what I have... Not that I know of. There's a reason you're born with it, because it's basically a, it's it's blood vessels, isn't it? Yeah, that, that off are come off my artery. That's sort of slightly slightly tiny. abnormal, which basically means that f- causes my blood to be a bit faster along that, that the artery, artery, and, artery the and the veins, and. That caused the aneurysm. That caused yeah. an aneurysm in So because artery, it sped up, it made part of my, the wall of my artery weaker. Mm-hmm. So then the aneurysm happened and it ruptured and bled through that, that which caused stroke. to bleed it onto my brain, which was the stroke. So how did it, how did it, how did it feel to sort of be told that that's what's, that's what you, that's what you got? What's exciting. going on? <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a shock to hear that for, some unknown reason i've been born with something and because it's your brain like your brain and your heart are pretty much your two like essential parts of your body Mm. you don't want to lose your brain you don't want to lose your heart so like knowing that it wasn't just like my arm broke you know yeah it's quite it's it's, i I imagine exactly that it's like when there's you know it's a it's a hemorrhage in the brain yeah like like, it's scary to hear the brain i feel like it's one of those things where it's probably when you were told what happened to me it's like her brain like that's like the thing that controls me like when you hear about cells the nucleus like something happens to the nucleus the whole cell is pretty much gone 
like I don't really want to damage my brain. <laughs> I've already had that, yeah. you know. It was definitely a shock, but I'm not complaining about it because at the end of the day, it's happened. There's no going back. You can't change it. I guess you've got to accept it and move on a bit, really. And so where have we got... So they, so they were looking to see whether they could potentially treat it when you were in. When I was in the having the angiogram done at Southmead Hospital, there's... Their best case scenario is that the like route up to the AVM is quite clear and simple and not like too tangly, and they can do this thing called coiling, where they basically fill it with like a is it a wire? Well, it's not a wire, but it's like a very thin, small little kind of like wireish tube kind of thing. Almost like not a fishing rod, but like if you kind of think about that kind of like. If you like to imagine it in your head, like that kind of thing, and they can thread it up and fill it. There's a technical term for it. Yeah, they can basically coil it around the fit inside the AVM to block off Mm. any blood going in there, which can slow down the blood flow. But mine had a bit of a weird turning into the AVM, so they couldn't do that. And they think if they did do it, it was a bit too risky. Yeah, could cause another bleed, which we did not want. So they didn't do that. Then there's a couple other options of how to stop or get rid of the ABM. One was surgery. So the next thing they did was had a big meeting to just discuss what they think is best. So they basically said that because my ABM is very small, quite luckily, um, they think that trying to do surgery, because that area clearly controls my left side, they think that they don't because it's so small and it's a bit risky to take that risk of trying to remove a very very small blood vessel clot. In a very delicate part. Yeah, they think that it could quite likely could damage my body permanently, and they don't want to risk that for me. So they've decided. Well, they've that they that they think the best option is something called gammon gamma knife gamma knife. And basically, it's up in Sheffield, where they basically send like a radio kind of wave to like from different angles, all to the same point where they think my AVM is. And it's kind of like for like this a m- highly targeted form of radiotherapy. Yeah, like it? a very sharp to the same um, exact point. Just targeted specifically on those that cluster of blood vessels. So they do that once, and then. Because mine's small, it can take any any different types of amount of time. But because mine's quite small, they think it will only take two years. Well, not only, but like only for in terms of up to two years. Up to two years. Done the, tr- the treatment's just a one. Just one, yeah. But it can take up to two years for it to. And it, there's a the chance AVM. of it because it basically shrivels up the AVM over up to over that amount of time. It could shrivel up in less than two years, but they can't do scans and things to check because if it hasn't then there's a chance of them like making it bleed again i risk again to actually so they wait for two years have a look if they if they think it's gone then it's gone if it hasn't gone then they'll i think they either do it again and wait for another amount of time but so they've basically think they the surgeons at bristol children's hospital think that's the best option for me so they've sent basically me and all my information to your 4D brain scan. And then the people up in Sheffield decide if they think it's best. If they think it's not the right thing, then they basically have another meeting to decide is surgery a better option? If there's any other options, I don't know. 
that's so where we are. That's where we are at the moment. So right now I'm chilling at home. Been out. I've been out twice. Been out. I was dropped off to meet a couple of my friends in the park the other day, which was really nice for me, just to have a bit of like independence, being out on my own. Yeah. So what is? I'm just saying, like you know, you've cu- you've come through this place. We got you. I mean, we they discharged you on Christmas Eve. We, we you know, it was all Christmas qu- Eve, Eve. Yeah, it was all quite crazy, and we didn't we didn't really we expect got, it. Didn't expect it. And by the time we got home, I was having a bath, and we we're like, oh, they've discharged you from the rehab as well. Yeah. But what I mean, you know. There's so much has happened in those six weeks, and that, you know, like your rehabilitation from the stroke itself has been nothing short of like phenomenal. Like this pace that you've that you have recovered. I mean, everyone in the hospital was just like just blown away constantly <laughs> with your. I was just very determined. I was frustrated with the fact that things that I knew I could do, I wasn't able to do. I think that made me push for achieving those things. The one thing that came, my arm came a lot later than my leg. Like, my arm would get tired quite, it still does. Like, I do physio at home. Well, I try and do it every day. If I get caught out, then, you know. I'm supposed to do it every day. So, basically, I have, like, different exercises. And a couple of them do my arm, where I basically do sets, clockwise and anti-clockwise movements on a ball, holding a ball against the wall. After... 10 on the on my arm maybe another set like my arm will be quite tired whereas if I do like my leg balances like for 10 seconds 30 seconds it won't be at, I'll still be like a bit like um, maybe I should just sit down for a second but I won't be like as tired as I would be from using my arm but well, I guess that'll come in its own time yeah exactly Hope. I mean it, I mean it is it is it's I, I still can't get my head around like the journey you've been on and how how you've gone from you know paralysis on your left side to to literally you know your yeah I mean it's almost if you didn't know what you'd been through I don't think anyone would know mm. um, but what's been like what because it's funny you came back you're talking about like you know going out to your mates and obviously you've got me and your mum like you know desperately trying to sort of not you know freak out every time <laughs> you know you go into your room or definitely a lot you of go that. to bed or but like what's it what's what's the t- what's the stuff that you're finding most challenging um i've definitely got a lot of fomo which is like fear of missing out which has come quite well i find it quite bad in myself i don't want it to be a thing that i have but i know i have it and i've come to real i think i've like been feeling it a lot without knowing but recently I've really started to realize it I think it's partly because I felt that at the hospital I was at the hospital recovering and I'm still recovering at home obviously but it's kind of hospital was for recovering getting better home was my life again I kind of obviously that was isn't the case but that was what I was painting in my head I was like when I go home I'll be able to go out with my mates get myself ready like you know deal with the things that I was doing before like be a teenager again but that's obviously not the case after a major trauma but I guess I kind of painted like an unrealistic picture in my head and so coming home and obviously not being able to do those things definitely affects me and I get very I just want to be 13 year old girl that does her things on her own you know does what she needs to do goes out to see her friends go maybe go get a meal with someone like just do the things that you would do when you're 13 
but because I still have the ABM and there's a lot of things that I can't do and but I mean at the same time there's a lot of things I can do but but that's not sticking out for me the things that stick out is what I can't do I'm a dancer but I can't I can dance but I can't dance how I danced before or I can't like you gotta be careful, haven't you, of the of, of of uh, you know anything. Um, if I raise my blood pressure, high energy can cause. Yeah, so you've got to you've got to you've got to kind of slow everything down, and that's yeah. that's that's your kind of big challenge, isn't it? How yeah. do you go from? I mean, that's even in the hospital, like a lunatic most so, of the time. Something that all the physios notice. I'm very fast. Like when I can do something, I'll do it quite quickly. It's definitely quite difficult. I'm get, I'll get there eventually and probably, hopefully soon. But it's definitely not nice to see. There's COVID around, which helps. But at the same time, we're not in like tier four or lockdown. So we're only in tier three in Bath. So you yeah, can still well, meet. By the time for the now, podcast for comes now, out, <laughs> we'll probably be in now, national lockdown. For now, I mean, like, you can still meet in groups of sixes. So my friends are still together in a group of six. In fields, in parks, like... Like, there's still things you can do, and obviously me, like, not being able to do that is not nice for me, knowing that I definitely would be there, or quite likely would be there, because our parents are quite chill and easygoing, which is, like, a very lucky thing for a teenager. It's what most kids want, especially as a teenager, when you're starting things and going through things, you want your parents to be like that, and we're quite lucky with that. Nice. (laughs) So knowing that I'd quite likely be able to be with them now if I hadn't gone through this is not like... I am I was quite positive my whole time in the hospital. I didn't really want to be negative about the situation because there, there, there really is no point. But coming home, it's hard to like... Because inside, my you need to be obviously have down days to have good days, same as you need to be negative to be positive... I want to be positive so much that the negativity that needs to come out, I don't let it out, so it kind of builds up inside me. And then, like, when, when I suddenly... Then I would get, like, FOMO, and then I'll start, like, everything's just so bad, and I get into a really bad mood and feel sorry for myself, which is not how I want to feel, because I don't think I should feel sorry for myself. I know my life was saved. Like, what's there to complain about? But when it doesn't come out when it should... I think I also thought that coming home it's just everything was going to be the same again but it's obviously not because I've had a brain trauma so it's not nice but it's it's something I've just got to kind of accept and move on I guess yeah and it's that that thing isn't it of trying to be more in the moment and trying to take that old adage day at a time try and try and be in that moment of time and try and look for possibility as well as you know some of the restrictions that you've got um and and you know time will will heal when you think about what you've been through what have you learned like what are your what are your big learnings that have come through this whole experience? You can be, I mean, not to big myself up or anything, but I'm a healthy, fit, thirteen year old. Like I dance, I eat well, I surf, 
I've got a lot of love and support. Like, um, I haven't got, like, bad mental health. I mean, everyone's obviously got their, like, down days, but I'm not, like, luckily, I'm not, like, sad. Like, I have a good life. So, you know, you can be... You can be Mo Farah, the fittest man on earth, and you can still have a stroke. Like, it's... Anything can happen any day, anywhere, any time, which it did. Like, expect the unexpected, basically. Well... That you can't, like, to kind of stay with that again. Like, you can't change it either. You kind of have to accept it. Like, I like thought kind of like there was this thing going around. Was, like, everyone needs to scream Jumanji on New Year's Eve <laughs> to see if it was like we're in like a Jumanji game. It'll get us out of twenty twenty. <laughs> so I shouted it like as a joke, not obviously expecting anything, but it was like that thing of like. Am I going to wake up with my scar gone? Like, it's this is real life at the end of the day. And it's not like it could be a dream. You couldn't, you can't wake up from this. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's real. I've got a scar on my head. I've got shaved hair. I've got an AVM still. And, like, these are things that I have to accept and move on because there's no point wasting my time being really sad about all these things that I've got wrong with me. Well, not wrong with me, but aren't what I thought they were. Because there's nothing you can do about it. And like what you often say to me, I I've I'm quite negative about the fact that if I have this gamma knife thing for two years will be obviously taking it chill like I am. Not as, as much as I am, but just not like doing everything that I think I'd be doing at those ages. Which is whatever, but like because of COVID and stuff if they think it's the right option for me, I don't know when it when they could start it, which makes me feel a bit uneasy at the fact that it could be pushed back and back and back and then those two years turn into three years because it doesn't start till next year, you know? That frustrates me a lot because I just kind of want to be me again. Not that I'm not me, but like I'm just like me, what I would be doing now, maybe today, if I wasn't going through this. It's okay to not feel okay. Like, it's kind of what I was saying earlier. Like, I was very positive. And so times I needed to get out the sadness in me, it'd come out in ways that I wouldn't want them to come out. So I'd maybe feel like I'd start feeling insecure about myself because the only way I could get out things like the sadness is aiming at things that I don't like about myself or I don't like in general. So those things, that wasn't fun. But I just think it's, it's okay to not feel good. Like, it's okay to just have a bit, to have a cry and just get out tears. Do you know what I mean? I think it's almost important to have those days. It's medicine, darling. So, like, instead of just bottling it up, like, sometimes you need to get out and that's fine. Like, it's completely healthy. 100%. So I think that was probably one of them, just like, that's what you said to me quite a lot, like, some days, like the day, for example, that the angiogram got cancelled, that was quite a negative day for us. Mm. I was just feeling very like, oh, this week's going to get pushed on, and when am I going to come home, and just everything was just not feeling good, and you just kept saying to me, you know, it's okay to not be okay, like, you can have down days. And I'm just so grateful for the NHS and my family. Like, 
the other night we were doing like a circle t- together just to kind of get out anything anyone wanted to say and kind of turned a bit hectic but my mum said something and I said this is my situation I was just being a grump and my brother said no at the end of the day it's all of our situation like it may have happened to me but he's had to look after my sister for six weeks well not on his own but like she she's been with him we've had a family member obviously always with them but like she's been his responsibility almost like he's come home and made sure she's okay if she's feeling upset about the situation he has to make her feel better and then my sister's had to kind of be a 10 year old that can get through the fact that her sister's recovering from a stroke you and mummy had never had time to be together like barely any time let alone be you two together with the kids like that didn't happen once I was always had someone by my side I was probably left for about five minutes on average on my own <laughs> so that's quite lucky to be able to have that support as a family and I've been really grateful for the fact that we are a healthy like healthy relationship as a family because obviously a lot of people have different families I'm sure a lot of fam- people are happy of how they are but the fact that I'm I'm very lucky to have both my parents and like siblings that I get on with so well just like things you don't f- take for granted in the general days like I fall out my siblings all the time but at the same time we get on so well like but I don't every day would be like I'm so like I love my brother or like I love my obviously I love them but I don't say to like I didn't like miss them and because I was taken away from them without a choice or unexpectedly it made me like really miss them and I, I love both my siblings but I yeah, it was hard with COVID wasn't it because no yeah. one could come and visit you I got on with my I get my brother very well he's two years older than me and I mean all I want is just a he's just is that classic boy teenage you know his mates over parties and just like and I'll be there for a lot of it. So we have quite, I, he looks like, keeps me for like to help him out. I help him out. He, I look up to him. We have very good relationships. So like, I definitely missed him a lot. Like, which a lot of people, like you miss like a sister, especially if you're a girl, but, or like if a boy, probably will miss his brother quite a lot. But I like, I miss my sister so much, obviously. But just, I don't know. I really had a feeling of like, I miss Finn, like, you know, because it was like I I would never pick to be away from him, but because it was so unexpected, there was nothing we could do about it. And I don't know if you remember, but I mean, well, I mean you will remember, but I'm sort of curious as well, like what that was like, because obviously you had so many. It felt over the at least initially in the first few weeks, but actually the whole way through, but so much. Uh, so many like messages and energy and people sending things and people messaging us that they you know they they were lighting candles for you they were, it was just like it, it was, was overwhelming like, it, was, it was an incredible amount it definitely got me through it 100 percent. like do you remember do you remember that like sort of did you feel that you knew that that was going yeah on? well I had like Obviously, I wasn't on my phone the first couple of days because I was either asleep or... It was the first week. Yeah, so when I first did get my phone, first we started off by disabling it three times because we couldn't couldn't get my password in because my left hand didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and then when we got onto it, I had like I had millions of messages 
people just people a lot of people didn't know what happened so they'd message me when they didn't know where I wasn't at school and then they'd message me when they realized what happened and they're like are you okay I had people my brother's year so year 11 my cousin's year above me so his year my year like I just had like so that's just from my phone and then I had you had like million messages from like people doing some such gorgeous things like people were praying and lighting candles and just all these different things like there were there was this christian surfer was it that he was like doing prayers for me there was a jewish synagogue doing things for me what was the other there was another religion i think you had possibly representation from every religion um (laughs) out there you had uh you had uh buddhist monks there were um uh, Christian groups in New York State. Uh, there were sort of um, all all kinds of uh, of uh, of people that were just just um, yeah thinking of you and 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 sending energy and light your way. It was quite extraordinary. It was really extraordinary, and all I have to say is like it's got me through it so much. Like I think knowing that people, not even just think about you, knowing that people love you enough to want to do something for you or want to show or like just I don't know love you enough to like do something to even just like sending a message you know that really made me feel good about myself and that's what you need in that kind of situation I guess and it made me feel proud of myself and one thing that people have said to me I know everyone was like you're so strong like I couldn't even imagine what you're going through or just like if I was in that position I wouldn't not be able to get through like it is like you have but one thing that some people said to me was like you're inspiring others or you're an inspiration to me that was something that really made me feel very proud of myself because I wasn't thinking like oh my god like I'm surviving a stroke I was just kind of thinking my life's been flipped upside down like and it made me think like about how much time I wasted and how much things I did like so unnecessarily I often like put out something on my story just to like let people know how I'm doing or just like share things I think need to be said and one of them's just like please like stop having those petty arguments and like wasting your time because you know something can happen any second yeah I guess that's the thing isn't it you when you've been on the edges that you've been on you um everything gets thrown up into a different perspective doesn't it about what's important yeah like and it was like even with the re when I was doing rehab like walking I was in a wheelchair for a a week or so maybe a couple weeks not too long luckily but when I was taken out because other weekends you can go out to Bristol for a couple of weeks we after yeah when I was a bit more like awake and able to be awake for longer I could go in the wheelchair and be taken out one time I was in the shop with my mum and she put put, I put the brakes on she just kind of turned around and it was that that feeling of limitation like the fact that I couldn't get up and walk around and see what she was doing even she was actually picking up something it wasn't even like she was doing something important but just Usually I'd be standing right next to her looking at what she's doing, but I was facing the other way and there's nothing I could do about that. And that really put me in a different perspective about the people that are 
permanently in wheelchairs. Like, even when we were in the shop and we couldn't go up the stairs, you know? It's like, oh, can we use the lift, please? Like, it's, or like there's one in one shop where they had to unlock it and then you have to hold it down. It's just so much, it's like an extra effort. Yeah, you got a real, you got real first-hand experience of what many people have to deal with every day. And it's, it's really scary. And it's really, it's not nice. Like, it's really unenjoyable, but the fact that you know that someone has to push you around everywhere or like, or like just just like you know being so close to the cars i got quite a fright being in wheelchairs when i got to the road like i would just say stop even though the person's obviously going to stop i was just kind of like stop i didn't being so close to cars made me feel really quite road scared which wasn't nice experience because i got frightened that i was gonna go off into the road mm. it's definitely and people don't look at you like you know you're like often i'd walk around if someone was like smoking I'd be at the level of where the hand was resting with the c- cigarette like, in my face. Hmm. It's really gross. No one looks at you. Do you know what I mean? You're just kind of like, you just get pushed past. Yeah, wow. You've got a real... Um... We we put the lift on in somewhere we were, me and my mate and The lift opened and there was two girls, young adults. They, I don't know if they had a baby. It looked like they had a pram. And my mum was like, come, do you mind if we come in? Like, we had our masks on and everything. Like, there was no limit on And they were like, no, sorry. I was sat there in a wheelchair. And I mean, whatever their reason was, was their reason. We just got on the next lift. But it's just kind of a bit like, would you, would, you, would you do that to someone in a wheelchair? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. it's just... Yeah, well, you, I, that's the thing, isn't it? You've you've it made, you've had you've experienced what a different reality. And is. then being able to walk, I felt so grateful. It's my second time. Like I spent thirteen years of my life walking. Never once thought I'd have to relearn. And like it was so weird, like just the sensation of like, and because to you and mummy watching, I was like, you're walking like this is amazing. But to me, I was just like, yeah, I'm walking again because I've done this my whole life. It's not like. Obviously, it was a big deal when I was able to do it on my own. But, like, now it's kind of like when I'm walking, I just don't think anything of it. I'm just like, I'm walking again. Like, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, amazing. So, I guess, last thing, really, I guess, would be good to... It's like, um, what got you through it? What got you through it? Like, what are your... What, are your, what, what got you through these, these weeks? What Family. Support and knowing that, I think, I don't know if this makes sense, but the fact that it was other people saving my life made me think I can't give up. Like, I can't, do you know what I mean? I've been given a second chance at this. I can't stop or not try. Because it makes you think about how precious life is and that really any second, any moment, you can be put at risk which I was, it was on edge of living and dying. And I'm so grateful that I was given a chance again. I believe that there's some some higher being or some something, I don't know. I do think this, and whoever or whatever that is, clearly knew that I could get through this. And so that's why I was put in this situation. I don't think, I think this happened for a reason. And at the end of the day, I don't wish for any different. You know, this happened to me. I've kind of got to accept it and push my way through it. It's not nice when I think about it in the 
time i'm like oh it's like all my teenage years but it's it's not i've got my whole life which hopefully i can not hopefully which my whole life to live you know so i think knowing that other people were helping me made me want to help myself if that makes sense Mm, makes total sense and just like the love and support from friends and family which was just completely extraordinary Percy Pigs. Percy Pigs saved me. I ate about 10, 15 bags. Thank God for m and across the road. Percy Pigs and pomegranate. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, thank you for sharing your story. No problem. Um, thank you for inviting me <laughs> <laughs> from the house. Exactly. It's kind of like, you're the, the, the first member of our family that we've we've um, done a podcast together. I think you should buy me some shoes. Do you think so? Yeah. Okay. We'll have a little think about that. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, well, you're amazing. You know that. Thank you. Um, you're uh, you're my star and my inspiration, and uh, um, wishing you an amazing recovery. Thank you. And. Um, Thank you for sharing your... No props. It's quite fun. I like to talk about it because it's fresh in my memory and it's all I can talk about for six weeks. Exactly. Nothing else happened. Thank you, Olive. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. That was Olive's story. Um, Olive is is continuing to learn uh, to live with the AVM that caused um, her brain bleed and approaches every day knowing she has a higher risk of suffering another bleed um and she's learning to live with this uncertainty it's becoming a a practice that she and all of us around her are learning to lean into of course the flip side of living with uncertainty is the opportunity to being fully present learning to be here now to be fully engaged in this moment as Someone said to me recently, there, there is only now. That's all there ever is. So we're collectively, as a family, learning to, to dance on these edges. I want to thank the unbelievable humans of the NHS, and the paramedics from Bath, the emergency team at the RUH who moved so fast to get Olive to Bristol, the emergency team in Bristol, the neurosurgeons who made the call at Bristol that night to operate on her when they did. All the nurses, doctors, porters, cleaners, ambulance staff, therapists, physios and support staff who, who looked after and, and cared for Olive for, for six weeks in Bristol and, and, and who continue um, to support her with her ongoing rehab. Um, we really have no words to thank all these people and all that they do in the midst of a pandemic just... Um, what I witness is just extraordinary humans who are in total service to their patients and we are forever grateful to them. Um, I'm going to stick a link in the show notes to the Grand Appeal as a fundraising page that Olive set up when she was in hospital to, to raise funds to support the incredible work um, at the Bristol Royal Children's Hospital and the work that they do. Um, so you can look at that. Um, I also want to mention really just family and friends who stepped up to support us in those weeks, helping our other children, walking our dog, dropping food off for us, giving us lifts back and forth to Bristol, 
you don't really realize until you find yourself in a situation like this that without community you 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 can't function it's impossible you know and you know with the covid um uh lockdowns going on it was only myself and my partner Seema we're the only ones that could be in the hospital with olive no one else could visit um so we we you know to try and keep our the rest of our our other children supported and uh fed and nourished in those weeks with without support would it was just been impossible and so just so much love and thoughtfulness from the people around us and just reminded us um you know just really clearly like really what matters and just how much community matters and how much family and friends matters and uh yeah we're just so grateful for all those amazing people around us and then I just want to mention all the love we received from people, you know, through social media, which, you know, sometimes actually makes me feel a bit ill. But, you know, the love, the vibes, the support, the messages that we that we received through socials from from people we knew, but also from people we, we didn't really know um, was just like it was genuinely heart expanding heart exploding even it it gave us so much and when you're when you're in really really dark places and you're on the edges of of you know really not knowing whether your your child is is going to make it and what's going to happen and just some of the most extraordinary um messages of support and um which gave us so much and i just think you know it really matters when you're in those when you're in those moments it really matters that that love and light from people is um is extraordinary so so thank you um so i'm going to leave you with a track and this track captures for me it captures the kind of spirit of olive's recovery and it reminds me about sort of 5 weeks into her recovery in hospital she she started to walk with with more stability and and at night olive and i would sort of wander out of the ward and down through the corridors of the children's hospital and, and Olive would just like, she started just to sort of really spontaneously sort of pull off some pretty crazy dance moves. You know, she's a dancer and uh, down the hospital corridors at night and there's sort of me, slightly paranoid dad, just sort of like, you know, legging it after her going, oh, you know, be careful, watch out, you know, watch out your brain and all that. And uh, But anyway, it's a track we listen to a lot in hospital. Um, it's uh, It's from Florence and the Machine. It's called Spectrum say my name it's the calvin harris remix so uh, i'll leave you with that and um yeah thanks for listening means a lot take care out there life is really precious and the time we have here on the spaceship earth our time is really totally unknown so if you can make your time beautiful peace and out
your shine. 